What's up, Central? Want to welcome everyone who's watching today. Thank you so much for taking time to connect with us. Before I dive in, I want to give a big shout out to our Crescent Campus. You guys are doing amazing things down there with that church, and God is going to do amazing things in you and through you. And so, Central, let's continue to pray for our, our campus down in Creston, that, that God just continues to move. Lives are touched, and, and, and they experience life change down at that place. Super excited for you guys down in Creston. If you've got a Bible, Ruth chapter 4 is where we are eventually going to get there. Uh, it's going to take me a minute to get there today, but I promise we'll land there eventually. Um, we're in week number four of a series called Bouncing Forward, and I had a plan for this message four weeks ago. I really did. I was going to go with it a certain way, and, and it was going to lead into the last week. Even though there were only four chapters, I was going to tie it in this way, and, and I had this great big huge plan, and I knew what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go and what I wanted you guys to know, and then the bottom fell out. Like, I, I had... I had like writer's block or something on Thursday, and, and I couldn't make what, what I wanted to, to do make any sense at all, which is probably like what you think every week. Like it doesn't make any sense. But, but part of it was like we're in a series talking about bouncing forward, and the emails and the texts that I'm getting about, um, about the difficulty and the fear and the uncertainty about bouncing forward, and, and listen, I get that. I really do. Like, I understand that, that we talk about over and over and over again about trusting God and, and taking your next step. And as you trust God, he will give you the strength. And, and I understand, like, th that doesn't help. You just saying it doesn't help. I, I, I get it. But I truly do believe what I told you at the end of one of the messages a couple of weeks ago was, like, if he has called you to it, like, if God has called you to take a next step, if he has called you to it, he will lead you through it. I've never, ever, ever told you that a next step would be easy. Never. So there's always going to be fear involved. There's always going to be uncertainty involved. There's always going to be doubt, and, and, there, and there's going to be this just, I'm not sure if I can do it. That's why we're not supposed to lean in on ourselves, but we're supposed to lean into the strength that God has inside of us and let that pour out of us. And so Thursday morning, Thursday morning, I got a text uh, from a very close friend. Doesn't come to church here, lives in, a, in another state. And he sent me this text, and, and it said this. It says, yo, I've been struggling lately. Been listening to your message, but I got to let you know. It's not doubt, and it's not uncertainty in my life. Right now, my life feels like this. And he sent me the chocolate ice cream emoji. And I looked at that, and I was like, huh, everybody likes ice cream. Now, I understand that that's not chocolate ice cream. I, I get it. And so I called him, and we talked through it. And, and when we got off the phone, like, like things were better. But after I got off the phone, I started thinking. I started thinking about what he was saying. And I started thinking about this emoji that he sent me. And, and I started, like, I just started thinking, you know what? Like, every one of us, every one of us have had that. Every one of us have had, have had a day or a week or, or maybe a situation where that emoji right there describes our situation in life in that moment. Like that emoji right there might describe your situation in life right now. It might describe a relationship that you're in. That emoji right there might describe how you feel when it comes to your relationship with God. I know this because all of us who are honest, and I know we've been told, don't be honest in church. When you come to church, you're supposed to just pretend everything's okay. But all of us have experienced something like this in our life. Yes or no? Yeah, every single one of us. 
And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you the sermon in a sentence before we, we get going. Um, and so if you want to tune out, if you want to, like, you're like, he put that up on the screen. Like, I don't even want to be here anymore. I'm going to turn it off. I'm out. If you don't get anything else I get out of the message today, um, you got to get this. This is what we're going to be talking about over and over and over again. I'm going to keep coming back to this. Here it is. In difficult times, we're not called to quit, even if life seemingly feels like chocolate ice cream emoji. Now, I'm just putting the emoji right there. You can insert the, the word that rhymes with quit if you want to. Like, you, you can do that all on your own. And so when life feels like that, don't quit. Because quitting is the thing that most of us want to do when chocolate ice cream emoji happens in our life, right? Right? That, that's what we want to do. We want to quit. And so let's, let's look at this through this story of Ruth. Let's kind of review the story of, of Ruth. And, and let's, let's rewind a little bit and let's look at it through the lens that maybe we've never seen before. Let's play pretend for a minute. Let's do it that way. I know you love when we play pretend here. So let's imagine that somebody was not born in the United States. Right? Somebody not born. How many of you have ever traveled outside of the United States? How many of you have ever been outside of the, you've been outside? Just type yes online or give it a little hand raise emoji. Um, if you've ever traveled outside of the United States, you understand the world is a different place. E- even places that we think are very similar are very different. Now, I've been out of the country quite a few times, um, mostly to Mexico. I've been to China. I've, I've been out quite a few times. But a few summers ago, um, I went to Italy. And I learned real quick that things that we are accustomed to are luxuries over there. On the very first night we were there, we went to a restaurant. We had been traveling all day long, and we finally got to the place where we could eat. Now, I was excited about the food that we were going to eat in Italy. And so we're at this restaurant, and we're getting ready to order, and the the menu is there, and I don't understand anything on the menu, and I don't understand euros, I don't understand anything. And, And the waiter comes over, and he gets our drink order, and everybody ordered water. And so I ordered water, he brings out our water, and the water doesn't have any ice. Like, there's no ice in the water. And I was like, hey, man, um, excuse me, sir, could, could I get some ice? And he looked at me like I was crazy, like I, had, like I had lost my dang mind. And everyone's looking at me, like, at the table, and they're like, oh, we wanted to ask for ice, too, but we're not going to ask for ice because this guy looks really angry. And so he says yes, and he goes, and he comes back. This is a true story. He comes back to the table with two ice cubes, two cubes. That's it. Like two, not two glasses of ice, two ice cubes. It is like 197 degrees. We've been traveling all day. I'm hungry. I'm hangry at this time. Like that's where I'm at. I went to the water. The water is warm. And he brings me two ice cubes. I'm like, excuse me, my man, come here, come here, come here. I'm going to need a little bit more. Like this just ain't going to cut it. Like seriously, like I need some. The girls need some. Like everybody here needs, needs some ice. Could you just... Could you just bring me some more? He says, sure. And he comes back, and he comes back with like a hotel bucket type thing of ice. And he puts it down. And I'm like, sweet, that was nice of me. He brought a lot of ice. And I'm like, see, girls, if you're nice to people and you ask nicely, people will take care of you. At the end of the meal, when I got the bill, I was charged 11 U.S. dollars for that bucket of ice. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Ice. Like, it's ice. It's, it's frozen water. This should be free. Like, I don't, and, and that entire week, man, it was this fight for ice. And that culture is different. 
like ice there. Like I had to realize, we had to understand their culture, like they like things warm and they don't like to put ice in it. Now imagine this, say all that to set this up. Imagine somebody's born in a different culture. They're not from an American culture. They don't understand our culture. Not only are they born in a different culture, but they're born into a different religious environment. Like, for example, if, if we're born in America, whether you like it or not, you're influenced by Christian values. You, you could be the most non-Christian, most not-godly person in the world, and we're all influenced by Christian values, period. All right? I, I don't know if it's always going to be that way, but that's the way that it is right now. So let's say that you're born in a culture that's not influenced by those values. Let's say um, a place that's indifferent towards God or hostile towards God, like they, they just hate God. Maybe like a Muslim country where they have extreme, extreme, extreme anti-God religious views. Let's say there's somebody born there, right? They're, they're born in a different country and from a different religion, and, and they're, they're, their religion, and what they've been taught their entire lives is that they're hostile towards God. And let's say for about 16 or 17 years, that's all they know. They grow up in that culture. They don't know anything different. They just know that we are hostile towards God. I don't really know God. I don't know anything about God. I just know that we hate God. And then when they're about 16 or 17 years old, they meet their very first follower of the God that they're supposed to hate. Now, most people would say, oh, sweet, they finally met a missionary. No, 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 no. They're not meeting a missionary. They are meeting somebody who is running from God. They're meeting somebody who at one time, they were close to God, but they intentionally turned their back on God and ran from God. And, and so now, while that person, while this person here is running, they've met this person who's born in a different culture with a different religious understanding. Are, are you tracking with me? And so to tie this back into the story of Ruth, if you've been following along, that's exactly what has been happening. Ruth was born in Moab, which was not in Israel. Moab was separate from Israel. Bethlehem is in Israel. And we've told you throughout this series that Bethlehem represented the presence of God and the people of God. That's where the people of God were. And so she's separate. So not only has she been born separate, but the Moabites were idol worshipers. They worshiped false gods. And so when Ruth is around 16 or 17 years old, she meets this family. She meets Elimelech and Malon and Kilion and Naomi, and they're running from God. Remember, Elimelech and Malon and Kilion and Naomi, they had left Bethlehem. They had turned their back on God. They intentionally went to the land of Moab. They intentionally went to a place where they were not supposed to go, and they started doing things that they were not supposed to do. And, and so her very first encounter with someone who claimed to know God, someone who claimed to know the one true God, was somebody running from God. This would be like your daughter coming home from like spring break week and saying, Mom, Dad, I was in the club at 2 o'clock in the morning and I met a Christian. <laughs> that ain't what you want to hear. Like, not at all. <laughs> Why were you in the club at 2 o'clock in the morning? I thought you went on spring break for Bible study. Why were you, like, like that's not what you want. But, but that's what's happening right here. And so, right here, Ruth's life, the best way to sum it up so far, to bring back our emoji friend, the best way to sum it up is this. Like, that's her life. Like, like think about it. Think about it. If you have somebody born in a foreign culture that's anti-God, and the very first person that they meet is running from God, that's a big pile of mess, right? It happened in Ruth's life, and it happens in our life. 
And then see, see that emoji in this story gets a little bit deeper because Ruth winds up marrying one of the sons. And here's what's crazy. Jewish people, the God followers, were told, don't marry people from other nations. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And so not only does she meet somebody that's running from God, she causes that person to compromise his beliefs and they get married. Now there's no way that anything good can come out of this, right? Right? Let let, let me say this before I move on. As we look through this story and we think about this and we think about the emoji, let's not be too critical of Ruth. Like let's not be too critical of Malon and, and Kilion doing something that God said not to do. Because we've all done something that we shouldn't have done, right? Listen, I discovered this a few years ago. Not only can I not follow what God wants me to do all the time, I can't even follow what I want to do all the time. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a restaurant. Um, it was the first weekend where restaurants were open back up. It was weird being back in there. Have, have any of you been back in restaurants yet that, that have opened up? It's just kind of strange, the 50%, kind of like being in church, 50%, like it's, you know, we're filling in and, and we're seeing it, and you gotta kind of get used to it. And so we're in there, at first it was strange, um, but then it was like normal, and so we're ordering everything, and we ate a ton. When we were done, the waitress came up, and she said, would you like desserts? And I'm like, oh, we don't want desserts. And somebody at our table <laughs> said, so what do you have? And she said, would you like another dessert? Now, now I'm, I'm trying to eat better, like I really am. And so I was like, I was like, sure, you could tell us. But in, in my heart and in my mind, I was like, no, like not going to do it. Like we're not, I'm not eating any dessert. If Mary and the kids want to eat dessert, it's fine. I'm not going to do it. And so she starts talking about the desserts. The very first dessert she mentioned was lemon cake with ice cream. I sold. I just like, this is blurted out. Yeah, I'll take that. Like put it in the box to go. I can't really eat it right now, but put it in the box to go. I, 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 I wasn't going to do it. Like seriously, in my heart, I had decided like I'm not going to do this. In my mind, I'm saying I'm not going to do it no matter what. But I did it, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. All of us have done that, right? We have all done that. All of us have said, you know what? I'm not going to go there again. We've all said, I'm not going to look at that again. We've all said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to text him. I'm not going to call her. And before you know it, we've done it. And we feel like Mr. Emoji, right? That's how we feel. You know what? Ruth lived in this for 10 years. She's married to this guy for 10 years. All of a sudden, Elimelech dies. Malon dies. Kilion dies. Everything in her life falls completely apart. And everybody watching knows exactly what that feels like. We can all tell at least one story of a time where everything just seemed to fall apart and, and, and you were completely out of control. And when that happens, when you're standing in the chocolate ice cream emoji, what do you do? What do you do? Well, Naomi heard, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, she heard that there was food in Bethlehem that God was doing something amazing in Bethlehem, and so she decided to go back home. She decided to step back into a relationship with God, to step back into community. And Ruth said, I'll go with you. Like, things here are bad, and they're just going to get worse. It's got to be better if I start taking a step, and so I'll go with you. There was another girl named Orpha, Ruth's sister-in-law. She said, I'm not going. And and Ruth said, that's fine. Like, Naomi, I'm going to stick with you no matter what. And so Ruth and Naomi begin to make the journey back to Bethlehem. 
And remember what we said in week one? When Naomi got back into that community and everybody remembered her, they said, oh, it's Naomi. Sweetheart, how are you? Come here. It's so great to have you here. But Naomi said, don't call me Naomi. Call me, anybody remember? Call me Mara, for I am bitter. She was bitter. She was angry at God. She was blaming God for all of the junk in her life, even though she was the one who walked away from God. She was the one that turned her back on God, but she's mad and she's bitter and she's angry at God. And so she comes back. And when she comes back, and we we talked about this, and we said this was huge and this was key, and, and, and this is why we do church the way that we do church. When she came back, nobody pointed their finger. Nobody accused her. Nobody looked down on her. They just received her back into the community. And when when we said, when we do that, when we receive people as they are, that's when the healing process in their life can actually begin. But when we start pointing our fingers and saying, you shouldn't have left, or you did this, or you did that, there is no healing. When we point fingers, there's only shame. And shame never results in the life that God has called us to live. Shame never results and living the life that God has called us to live. And so Naomi, she steps back into this community with Ruth. And we said in week two that Ruth, even though she didn't know what to do, she stole a line from Frozen 2. Even though she didn't know what to do, she just did the next right thing. She just said, I'm, I'm just going to do the next right thing. She's like, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what's supposed to happen. And so I'm just going to do the next right thing. And so we saw that her next right thing was to go to work. She went to work in the field of a guy named Boaz. She just happened to go to work at Boaz's field, and she started working. And I told you that she didn't just happen, that God rules and reigns supreme, and he has ordained all the days of our life. And so so it was all set up, and and there was a plan. And I told you that Ruth's story and Boaz's story and the two of them meeting um, really impacts all of our lives today. And I'll show you that here at the end of the message. But then we said that because she was a Moabite, the people working in the field, were probably looking down on her. They were probably talking smack about her. Even though, even though she was with Naomi, she's an outsider. She's a foreigner. She's different. And so they're probably talking about her. But, but here's one of the things that I love about Ruth. I believe that she turned her haters into motivators, and it just made her work harder. That's one of the things I've had to do in my life. I've had to realize that when haters come, you just have to turn them into your motivation. Because she said, you know what? You might hate me, but you're not going to shut me down. I'm just going to keep working harder, and I'm going to keep working harder, and I'm going to keep working harder. You can say what you want, but I am just going to keep working, and I'm going to start positioning myself. And she worked so hard that Boaz showed up, and he's like, whoo, who's that? Like, she is hot, man. Somebody set me up on a date with her, and they had a lunch date, and they had a good time, and and then we saw that he doesn't call her for like several weeks, just leaves her on red. Then last week, we watched Naomi say, hey, girl, man, enough. We need to get you out the house. We need to get you married. And we talked about how Naomi showed Ruth grace, and we talked about how Boaz showed all of this amazing grace to Ruth. And then Ruth goes, and remember, Boaz, he had a lot to drink, and he got drunk, and he passed out at the, at the end of the grain, and Ruth went over and uncovered his feet, and there's all kind of stuff going on there right there that I didn't even talk about last week, but, it, but it's there. And, and Ruth said, Ruth gets there, and she's like, you know what, Boaz, I want to marry you. I want to marry you. And he goes, well, you know what, that would be cool, and, and, and I would do it, 
Except for like, I'm second in line to be able to marry you. There's somebody else who's first in line. And, and that's where we are in the story. All right, now, at this point, if you're Ruth, think about this. You're like, seriously? I came all the way back from Moab. Like, I stepped into unfamiliar territory. I've been showing up in these fields and working my butt off every day for weeks. I'm finally in the place where I think I'm about to have a breakthrough. I'm finally at the place where I feel like I'm bouncing forward. And you're telling me that it might not happen? I'm sure if you were to ask Ruth at that point in time to pick an emoji that describes her life, this would be it. Right? That would be it. All right, that's the introduction to the message. Some of you are like, dear Lord, this is going to take forever. Probably. No, 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 it's, it's going to go quick, I promise. Um, Ruth chapter 4, so we're picking up. Verse 1, the Bible says, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Now, that's huge. We're going to come back to that. Took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Now, don't miss us. Last week, Boaz and Ruth were at the threshing floor. And Boaz told Ruth, I'm not going to rest until the issue is resolved. And I told you, in our lives, that's what God is saying. He's like, hey, don't, don't quit. Like, don't, don't give up. I am going to take care of it. Remember, there, there was a verse that said, now, don't worry about a thing. Right? Don't worry about a thing. That's what God is saying to us. Like when we're thinking about and we're scared about our next step or, or doing the next right thing, God is saying, hey, don't worry about it. I'm not going to rest until the issue is resolved. I know it's uncertain. I know you're standing in, in chocolate ice cream. I know all of that stuff is happening. I, I get it. But I'm not going to rest until the issue is resolved. That's what's happening. And, and, and so we see right here in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, that Boaz, he went out of the town gate. The Bible doesn't say, this is huge, it doesn't say that he stayed at the threshing floor and prayed about the situation. It doesn't say that he left and he went to a Bible study about kinsmen redeemers. The Bible says that Boaz went to the town gate. In other words, he took action. And he, don't miss this, he positioned himself to be in a situation that if God moved, he was ready. As followers of Jesus Christ, sometimes, even in the midst of difficult situation, in unbelievable circumstances, overwhelming situations, when we don't know what to do, our job, our responsibility is just to do the next right thing and position ourselves. Position ourselves so that when God moves, we're ready. Think about it like this. There's a story in the Bible uh, about a man named Zacchaeus. If, if you grew up in church, you know about him. There's a song about him. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the, where? In, in, the, in the sycamore tree, right? He climbed up in the sycamore tree so the good land he could see. goes like uh, something like that. I don't know. If you've never heard that song before, um, you are incredibly blessed, and don't listen to it. It's crazy. Um, but do you, know, do you know what he did when he climbed up in that sycamore tree? He positioned himself to see Jesus. And when Jesus came along, bam, he just recognized Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus had positioned himself. To put this into like even more modern day context, um, two weeks ago, and I, I love hearing positive stories from you guys. Like it's, it's awesome. Two, two weeks ago, um, I got an email from a lady who, who had watched. She had heard the message about this, do the next right thing. 
um, she was kind of in a place where she said she had given up on God a little bit. She wasn't sure about her faith. And she said God spoke to her in that moment and said, hey, the next right thing for you to do is to go and get a Bible. And so immediately when that service was over, when, when, when the, she tuned out or she turned it off or whatever, she went to Walmart and she bought a Bible. She just did the next right thing. And you're thinking, what happened? I don't know, but I'll tell you what. She positioned herself. And because she positioned herself, I believe that when God reveals his next step to her, she's gonna be ready to step in and take it. That's what happens when we position ourselves. Boaz positioned himself, and watch this. As soon as he positioned himself, look what happens. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. Like, don't miss, like, Boaz wasn't tracking him. He didn't have a tracker on his camel. He didn't have Life 360. Like, he didn't know where he was going. Like, he didn't know he was going to come by the gate. He just positions himself. And the guy comes by, and he says, hey, we need to have a conversation. Now, I want you to watch what happens here. Because it looks like the bottom can still fall out right here for Ruth and Boaz. It gets crazy. Look at this. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. This is like getting the lawyer involved in the situation. This is like the legal system of the day taking place. That's what's happening. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab. This is really strategic how he throws this in here. I'm going to show you why in just a second. Like this is, this is great. You know Naomi who came back from Moab. She's selling the land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. Everyone knew Elimelech, and everyone knew that Elimelech had ran. Everyone knew that Elimelech had died. Verse 4, I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. In other words, he's saying, hey, you're first in line to buy this. I'm second in line. If you want to buy it, you can. Like land was super valuable back then, as it is now, but it's super valuable. And he's like, hey, you know what? I'm in line, but you're, you're before me. And so, like, I'm just letting you know this situation has come up. Dude, if you want to do it, you can do it. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. In other words, make it right now. Like, you need to do it. Like, I've gathered everybody together, and, and I'm backing you in a corner. Like, right here, you got to do this. But if you don't want it, let me know right away. Let me know right now. Because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And, 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 uh, after you. In other words, he's saying this. I'm positioned. I'm ready. I don't know if you got to think about it, but I don't got to think about it, man. I'm right here. I'm right now ready to make a move. This guy's just finding out about it, but Boaz was ready. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Now, if you're pulling for Ruth, this is not good. You're saying, like, this is bad, right? Because you wanted this guy to say, oh, no, it's okay. I, I don't want the land. It looks like at this point in the story that they're not going to get together. That, that everything has fallen apart for Boaz and Ruth. But Boaz had this thing called wisdom. It's, it's one of those things that as a follower of Jesus, like the Bible says, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is in the book of James. James chapter one, verse five, says if any of us lacks wisdom, and that's me, like all the time, I'm Captain Moron, for real. Like I lack wisdom all the time. It says if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives us wisdom. And, and so, so if we lack wisdom, I don't, if we don't know what to do, if we're standing in, in, in the middle of our emoji friend, we don't know what to happen. We need to say, hey, God, show me what to do. Like, hey, God, I, I tell you all the time, if you don't know what your next step is, ask God. 
God will tell you. If you don't know what to do in a certain situation, ask God. God will show you what to do. Sometimes the answer doesn't come immediately. Like sometimes it does. It doesn't always come immediately, but it always eventually comes. And Boaz, Boaz understands this. Boaz is so full of wisdom because right here, he's listening to the guy saying, yeah, I'm going to buy the the land and watch what he does. Verse 5. So then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite. He throws the Moabite thing in right there. I I mean, he's like, you know, the Moabites, you know what they say about Moabites? Like, if you want to buy this land, there's Ruth, and she's a Moabite, and and you got to take her. In, In other words, Boaz is showing Ruth grace right here. It doesn't look like it. It looks like he's slamming her, but he's showing her grace because he knew other people weren't going to show her the same type of grace. And so he kind of throws this out there. He says, hey, you want to buy this, you got to marry Ruth, the Moab. That's a package deal. And then look what he says. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name. Not your name, her husband's name. So she can carry on her husband's name and keep land in the family. And so he's like, okay, you can buy the land, but when you get it, you're going to have to marry the Moabite woman. And when she has kids, they don't get to carry on your name, dude. They're going to carry on the name of her dead husband. And all of a sudden, for that guy, everything flips. I love this dude's response. Verse 6, then I can't redeem it. I can't do it. I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. In other words, yeah, this isn't real good for me. I got like a wife and kids and some other stuff, and I got some other land, and that Moabite, like at that point, I'm out. This guy, don't miss this. Because this situation didn't work out for him, he said no. And the reason he said no is because he was only interested in himself. Boaz was interested in who? Ruth, right? When you're interested in others, well, let me just say it like this. Let me put it like this. What's this guy's name? What's this guy's name? He's only interested in himself. what's, What's this dude's name? We don't know. We don't know. And the reason we don't know is because he was selfish. We know who Boaz is. We know his name because he was all about other people. When we do things for ourselves on a consistent basis, it just kind of fades away. But when we're others-focused, when we're focused on other people, man, that's when great things happen. Look at this. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase. This is crazy. For anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. That's weird. Here, you bought the land. Here's my shoe. That's basically what went down. That's how they sealed the deal. It wasn't a handshake. It wasn't a contract. You didn't sign on the line. You just handed him your shoe. Why do you have the land? I don't know. I have his Adidas, right? Like that's, that's what's happening. All of that sets up two big ideas that I want us to walk away with today. Here's the first, and I say this all the time. God's plans are bigger than my plans. God's plans are greater than my plans. God's plans are bigger than my plans. God's plans are greater than my plans. Because let's stop and think about this for a minute. When this story starts out, does Ruth have an amazing and an abundant filled life? Yes or no? No. 
No, because she's born in a foreign land, in a religion that is anti-God. She cannot have a connection with God. She's a pagan. She's an idolater. There is nothing good about her that God would actually want to draw him to himself, but he does, and he does it through these crazy circumstances. He, he doesn't do it through a missionary. He does it through people who are running from God. Isn't it funny how God can use anything even the mess in our lives, God can use it for his good, for his glory. I don't understand it, but he can, and he does. So Ruth decides to come with Naomi, and she leaves Moab. Something draws her from Moab to Bethlehem, and it's not Naomi, because Naomi's bitter at the time, right? Who wants to travel with a bitter person? I'm, I'm trying to get them out of the car. Like, that's what I'm trying to do. Who wants to travel with a bitter person? So she comes She's being drawn by God. She makes it to Bethlehem. She goes to work. And in this story, don't miss this. This is why, this is why we know God's plans are greater than our plans. In chapter 2, Ruth is working in the field. In chapter 4, she owns it. Only God can do that. In chapter 2, she's got haters in the field. In chapter 4, they're her employers. See, only God can do that, right? Like, that, that's awesome. And then God does something else for her, too. Because remember, she married one of Elimelech's sons. And for 10 years, she didn't have any kids, which is a big deal. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says this in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. This is so amazing. God took a pagan idolater, drew her to himself, and blessed her in ways she could have never imagined. And all she did along the way was just take her next step, just do the next right thing. All of us have that opportunity to just do the next right thing, to just take, to just take our next step. But in order to do that, we need to surrender our plans to him. But listen, for years and years and years, you know what I did? I took my plans to God. I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but I'd be like, God, I got these plans, and, and, and you got to kind of put your stamp of approval on this. And God, I'd love for this to happen. God, if you would just bless this, this would be great. But I heard somebody say this phrase many years ago, and it's something that I go back to in my own life over and over and over again. God, my life and my plans are in your hands. God, my life and my, hand, or my, my, life and my plans are in your hands. At the end of the day, if God can do it with Ruth, he can do it for all of us. Because see, Ruth's story is our story. It really is. There was nothing, nothing, nothing good in us where God would say, yes, I want you, yeah, because of how awesome you are, yay. But he called us. He called us. And he drew us to himself. And you know what? We might have a huge mess going on in our lives. We might be standing in chocolate ice cream emoji. I'm not going to argue that, but, but I need to say this, and, and maybe you feel the same way. My life is not nearly as bad as it could have been had I not met Jesus. It's not. The second thing I want to share with you is this. God can restore anyone. God can restore anyone. I love going to car shows and seeing old cars that have been restored. And I was thinking about this illustration a few days ago. I was standing in, in my garage, and my son Jaira um, has a, a 1975 uh, Stingray that has had some restoration work done on it. 
When he got this car a few years ago, um, man, it was it was in horrible shape. The front bumper, the back bumper, they were rotted off. It didn't run well. And, and so so he bought it, and um, he had a guy help him do the body work on it and, and, and get it running great. And, and, man, it looks sweet. You see that thing in this picture, the sun's shining on it. Man, it is, it is just amazing. But I started thinking about when, when I used to see that, um, my, my dad owned it and, it, and it sat in this barn for years and years and years with just tools piled on top of it and, and just junk piled on top of it, and it looked really bad. But to see it today and, and to see the joy that Jaira has when he's outshining it or he's driving it down the street is, is pretty cool because I saw it from when, from when it was junk to where it is now and, and where it is now brings joy into somebody's life. You know what? That's what God does in our lives. God's been putting junk back together for a long time. And there are those of us that think our situation is so unique and we're just falling apart and we're becoming a pile of junk and no one can help us, not even God. But you know what? God's already seen it. Like there's no situation unique to him. At the end of the day, God can restore anyone. He can redeem any situation. Look at this. Remember Naomi. Naomi walks away from God, is away for 10 years. She's bitter, she's angry, she's blaming God. She's not a happy person. How does the story wind up for Naomi? It's really something, look at this. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Verse 14, then the, woman, the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. In other words, Ruth stood by Naomi when no one else would stand with her. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became, look at this, he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. King David. The David that beat up Goliath. The king that led Israel. And, and by the way, the great, 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 great grandfather of a dude named Jesus. Don't miss this. If you don't have Ruth and Boaz... We don't get Jesus. Jesus came from the lineage of Ruth and Boaz. Remember, I told you at the beginning of this message, I told you a few weeks ago that Ruth and Boaz's story impacts the entire world. It impacts your life, and it impacts my life. At the end of the day, Naomi is holding a man that is in the direct lineage of Jesus Christ. God restored her in ways she could have never imagined. If God could do it for Naomi, somebody who ran, somebody who, who left, somebody who turned her back, God can do it for every one of us. So let me give you a couple closing thoughts, a couple things, and then I'm done. Number one is you need to surrender to his plans. You do. M maybe you're watching today, and you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe, and and, and I, I, I understand that maybe the reason you've not given your life to Jesus is because you've met a Christian. Like, I get that. Like, sometimes we're the biggest deterrence to get somebody to follow Jesus. Seriously, we are. Sometimes, Christians, sometimes you need to just get out of God's way and let him move through you, like seriously. 
And so maybe you're not a follower because you've met some Christian that told you, you need to give your life to Jesus. And in order to give your life to Jesus, you've got to stop this, and you've got to quit this, and you can't go here, and you can't do that. You know what you have to do to be a follower of Jesus? You know the only thing you have to do to be a follower of Jesus? Follow. Follow. That, that's it. Just follow Jesus and do the next right thing. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're watching. Maybe you're, maybe you're a Christian and you're having a hard time surrendering because you're like me. You're a control freak, right? And, and you like to have control. You know what God has been speaking to me over the past several weeks? I've discovered that real joy comes from not being in control, but by surrendering to somebody who you know is in control. That, that's what God's been teaching me. As I'm taking my next step, that's what God is teaching me. The last thing to take out of here today is accept his restoration. Accept his restoration. Maybe there are some people, maybe you're watching, maybe you walked away from God. And listen, if I was in your situation, I maybe would have walked away from God too. I'm not judging anybody from walking away from God. Maybe you got caught up in a situation. Maybe something bad happened to you. Maybe you just kind of drifted. I don't know. But when you got there, you're like, there's no way God could ever want me back. Isn't it ironic that you just happen to be watching this message, hearing these words? God wants you back, and you can come home. God wants you back, and you can come home. You can step back in and not just be restored, but have that life that you thought was gone, a life greater than anything you could ever imagine. If God could do it for Ruth, and God can do it for Naomi, and God could do it for somebody like me, God can do it for you. Don't quit. Don't ever give up on the God who's never given up on you. No matter how bad you feel like life is, no matter what's going on, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't turn your back on God. If you have turned your back on God, just come home. He wants you back. He loves you. And he's got greater plans for you than you have for you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this story. God, that you could take one of the worst situations in the world and turn it into a story about Jesus. Only, only you can do that, God. And Father, right now, I want to pray for the person who feels like they're in the biggest pile of chocolate ice cream that they've ever been in. God, I pray that you would remind them that if you've led them to it, that you will see them through it. God, I, I pray, Jesus, for the person that needs to just surrender to your plans because your plans are greater than our plans. They would just surrender and accept your restoration. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you need to receive Jesus today. Maybe you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. Maybe you've thought there's no hope for you, and, 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 and in actuality, you realize that if he did it for Ruth, he really can do it for me. I believe that's what he wants for everybody's life. I really do believe that with all of my heart. And so if you've never met Jesus, and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life right, right now, right where you are, just either out loud or in your heart, you can just say, Jesus, come into my life. Just come into my life right now. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need saving. So I'm asking you to save me. 
Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. And I believe you did that for me to cover my sin, my guilt, my shame. I believe you did it to, to save me, to rescue me. And so today I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my King, to be my Savior. All of me for all of you. And I promise from this day forward, the best of my ability, that I will follow you step by step for the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know. We would love to celebrate with you. We would love to help you take your next step. If you'd let us know um, by sending an email to info at yourcentralchurch.com or comment in the sections right now or give the church a call, um, let us know because we really want to do, we really do want to celebrate with you. We really want to, we really want to help you. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. Everybody else that's watching right now, continue to surrender to God's plans. They really are greater than your plans. Uh, continue to go out and make the name of Jesus famous everywhere you go. Love you all. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next weekend.